Hello and welcome to episode 306 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. I hope you're having a great week so far and a huge thank you to those of you who've helped me out of my local issue around timber trucks. If you look on the Facebook group, you'll see what I mean. But thanks a lot, I really appreciate it. Today's story is from South Wales and is a familiar tale to listeners of this podcast. But first, I need to ask you, are you coming to the live show in Manchester next week with Paul, true crime enthusiast, and Mike from Murder Mile? We still have some tickets available. Can you believe it? Just a few, of course. So get them via the show notes or via any of my social media channels. I promise it'll be a fantastic night. As always, let me begin by thanking all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That is Lynn Lockwood and Tyrone Allen. Thank you so much for your support. I'm delighted that support for the podcast this week is from Harry's. I've used their products for a few years now and highly recommend them. Now you have the opportunity to support my podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. This comprises an expertly engineered weighted handle, one five blade cartridge, crafted by artisans in Harry's own German factory, complete with precision trimmer, and a handy foaming shave gel for effective lubrication, and a travel blade cover for life's adventures. To get your hands on this great Harry's trial set, all you need to do is cover the £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com slash podcast and have your trial set and your free night lotion delivered to your door. That's harrys.com forward slash podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Noom. You know, for me and most people I speak with, the numbers on the scale aren't the reason we want to lose weight. For me, it was about getting back into sailing and having the energy, frankly, to do so. Noom's psychology approach has worked for me as it's so intuitive. For example, make sure I don't food shop when hungry or diet hard during the day when I then just want a snack at night. You know how it is. Did you know that so far, Noom has helped more than 3.6 million people lose weight? Active Noomers lose an average of 15 pounds in 16 weeks and 95% of their customers say that Noom weight is a great long-term solution. So what are you waiting for? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom weight psychology-based approach. Sign up to your trial today at noom.com slash UKTCpod. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash UKTCpod to sign up for your trial today. Okay, so let's quickly set the context for today's story with our guest of the month in the year game. Top of the UK charts, it was Take That with Everything Changes. In the US, at the summit, was Bump and Grind from R. Kelly. Let's move on quickly, I think, to Australia, where number one was Wet, Wet, Wet with Love is All Around Us. Wasn't it just like forever? In the news this month, Branch Davidian cult leader David Koresh promised to surrender after completion of his Seven Seals manuscript. Former US President Richard Nixon suffered a stroke and died a few days later. Michael Mora beat Evander Holyfield to win the heavyweight boxing title. And Bob Cryer, the Labour MP for Bradford South, 
was killed after his car overturned on the M1 near Watford. And finally, in true crime news, human remains were found in Kempley, Gloucestershire, by police working on the Gloucester mass murder case. The body was believed to be that of Catherine Rena Costello, Fred West's first wife, who was last seen alive in 1971. So did you guess the month and year? It was April 1994. Today's story comes from one of my favourite parts of the UK, Swansea in South Wales. If you've spent any time there, you will know exactly why. When we join the story today, 30-year-old Danny Dyke had recently moved to Swansea and was living in the student part of the city, Bryn Mill, just to the east of the university. In that rugby-mad city, Danny fitted in well as he had played in the pre-professional days at a very, very high level for Eastbourne and also Rosslyn Park. But it's a tough career and a succession of knee injuries led to his early retirement in his 20s. But from here, he'd stayed in the game and worked for nearby Neath and Aberavon rugby clubs as a physio. He'd enjoyed the work, it was good to stay around the culture of the dressing room, and he was good at it too. But then in April, he just disappeared. His very distinctive red Escort XR3 Turbo was found unlocked and abandoned in a car park further east in Brecon on the 15th of April. Detectives set to work on investigating his disappearance and managed to establish that Danny was last seen alive the previous day in the Swansea area. But as detectives began to look further into Danny's life, they found that the mild-mannered, qualified osteopath had been leading a very different second life. Sure, he enjoyed the physio work, but it didn't pay, well, not to any great level certainly not the level that Danny wanted to find his lifestyle. And so at first it seemed he'd started selling the odd steroid to connections in the game, to local gyms, and the odd drug to local clubbers. But that had soon spiralled out of control, and by 1994 he'd progressed to being a major drug dealer in the local area, working with other dealers of hard drugs. Indeed, speaking to the local media, about his disappearance, Detective Superintendent Williams, who was leading the hunt for Danny, said, This is a murder inquiry, and closely linked with drugs, and its very dirty world of violent crime. The police knew that Danny had long-standing contacts in London and the South Coast, who could supply him with plenty of drugs at a decent price, and he distributed those around South Wales. But of course, whilst the money in drugs can be great, As he progressed to the sort of people he began to do business with, they became more and more ruthless and unpleasant. Detectives believed that he'd been killed by some particularly nasty criminals who he'd been working with. Everyone they spoke to said pretty much the same thing, that Danny was basically a nice, genial bloke, but he lacked the real support network in Swansea to back him up. Just like every movie that we've seen, He needed people that had his back, and yet there was no real muscle around him who would make those he worked with think twice about separating Danny with his money by any means necessary, even murder. 
But despite a thorough investigation, all the leads eventually came to nothing and the information began to dry up. Somebody must have known just what had happened to Danny, but they weren't telling. This again suggested to detectives that they were dealing with some very unpleasant violent people, as potential witnesses were terrified of repercussions if they spoke about what they knew. But then, two months later, completely out of the blue, two well-known criminals in their late 30s, John Wilson and John Wellsby, both local men, rocked up at a local police station in Swansea asking for police protection. They revealed they were connected to Danny Dyke. Wellsby said he'd been acting as a drugs career for Danny and he was now being pursued by London gangs who Danny owed money to. He told how he was scared of being snatched and crippled by these gangs from the street. Then in 1996, a couple of years later, Wellsby said he was happy to show police where Danny's body was buried in return for £50,000 and a guarantee that he wouldn't go to jail for his role as a money taker in Danny's drug stealings. Let's face it, you'd fancy Wellsby at your poker table at the Grosvenor Casino in Swansea, as he wasn't much of a poker player or a negotiator. Eventually, he settled for just 3k rather than the 50,000 they started with. He then led officers to a farm where he revealed that Danny had been burnt in a pit of a bonfire. It was an incredibly unpleasant task for scenes of crime officers who over a number of days sifted through carpeting, parts of a mobile phone, chunks of a concrete slab, and crucially, fragments of Danny's skull. They could be sure it was Danny by using DNA from a piece of his knee cartilage that his mum had kept after one of his operations. And now the investigation could move forward in earnest to find out just what had happened to Danny. Detectives looked in more detail at John Jackie Wellsby, who was from one of the toughest estates at the time Danny went missing. Perched up on the hill, a lovely spot looking over Swansea, it was Town Hill. He worked as a builder and he'd spent time inside. He first went to prison in Swansea, a notoriously tough prison, in the early 1970s for dishonesty offences. But just like an advert for why we shouldn't be sending so many people to prison, will we ever learn? Probably not. He came out with experience mixing with a number of violent criminals and drug dealers and was often then back inside. When he came out of jail in the early 90s, having heard about the large amounts of cash some of these dealers were earning in South Wales, he wanted a bit of that for himself. He knew a lot of people, he was pretty street smart and he certainly wasn't afraid of using violence to persuade people to his point of view. On the surface, Wellsby made a living running his building firm, JKW Builders. But he made his real money dealing cannabis resin across Swansea, Clonethley and Carmarthen. It was through this business that he met Danny Dyke. They built up a relationship where Danny would sell drugs to him in bulk that Danny had bought from his London contacts and Wellsby would then deal locally. But Wellsby, he hadn't been paying his debts. Using call records, this was in its infancy in 1994, when few people had mobile phones, detectives were able to see 
At the time he disappeared, Danny had travelled from Eastbourne to Swansea, where he had gone to collect £16,000 owed to him by Wellesby. After they met, they went to a house in Jersey Marine just outside Swansea, owned by a friend of Wellesby's, nightclub bouncer John Wilson, where they were joined by Wellesby's brother, 41-year-old Terence. Exactly what happened next is only known for sure by those men who were there, but some sort of argument took place. I think we can say safely that it was over the debt owned by Wellesby, and Danny Dyke lost his life in that kitchen as he was battered to death in a brutal way. And from here, the story heads into the carp. The body was wrapped in a carpet and taken to a farm nearby, where it was buried in a shallow grave. Wellesby had already been depositing rubble from his building business at the site, and the day after the murder, literally the next day, he paid the owner of the land £4,000 for the ownership. He then arranged for Danny's car to be driven to the car park in the Brecon Beacons, where it was later found. It was wiped down to avoid fingerprints and abandoned. But Wellesby, he was increasingly concerned about the body. He couldn't forget it. In particular, about something very familiar to you and me as a listener to true crime podcasts. Dog walkers. He was so worried, as he'd only dug a shallow grave, and he feared that a dog could sniff out the body and then dig it up and he'd be found out. So he went back with a concrete coffin and buried Danny deeper. But even then he had that niggling feeling that Danny would be found. So almost two months later, armed with a jackhammer and digger, he headed back to the body again, dug it up himself before destroying it on a bonfire. So nothing was left of Danny Dyke. He was now confident that he'd covered all his tracks and his secret was safe forever. And maybe it would have been if he hadn't gone to the police. When detectives asked what had happened to Danny, it was the old familiar story, we know it so well, of the men blaming each other for killing him. But detectives believed they had enough to charge John and Terence Wellesby and John Wilson with murder and all faced charges at Swansea Crown Court. They denied murder, but John Wellesby pleaded guilty to reverting the course of justice by assisting in the removal and concealment of Danny's body. I guess it would have been pretty hard not to when he had taken detectives to where Danny's body was buried, for £3,000 of course. At the conclusion of the trial in 1997, John Wilson and John Wellesby were both found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Sending them down, the judge described the killers as selfish and cold-blooded men. It's hard to argue that judgment. Terence got off, sorry, 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 he was found not guilty, denying he'd been anywhere near John Wilson's house in Jersey Ferry when Danny was killed, and he said that the detective's trump card of blood found at the scene which matched his, could have got there from roofing work he carried out at the property some weeks previously. He left the court free man, as the other two were taken down to the cells, to contemplate their long stretch behind bars. And that should have been that end of the story. But no. John Wellesby hit the news again in 2021, when he was once more arrested on drugs charges. 
this time for running a major network of amphetamine dealers. When officers stopped his car in Swansea and found amphetamine and cash, he told officers that he was a soldier, not a cadet. I think I might beg to differ with his record of getting caught, wouldn't you? But anyway, the detail of his arrest is in May 2021, police stopped a Ferrari, sorry, a Honda Civic, travelling in the Mayhill area of the city. Wellesby was the front seat passenger and his wife was the driver. Wellesby had a bag containing 9.4 grams of amphetamines, along with almost £1,500 in cash, which he said was rent for his caravan. The cash, I presume. And a search of his house showed he was into the business in a decent way, as officers found more than 7 kilograms of amphetamine, worth up to £73,000, some being stored in a Jacob's Crackers tin, along with cash, tick lists of names and figures, and scales. A search for his phone gave up lots of information too. There were various messages about dealing in amphetamines, cannabis and cocaine, with the amounts being bought and sold ranging from one ounce up to kilos. And of course, they had to search the caravan too, where there were more amphetamines, along with cannabis and another tick list. 62-year-old Wellesby pleaded guilty to being concerned in the supply of amphetamine, cocaine and cannabis when he appeared in the dock for sentencing. The jury was told that investigations into his bank accounts found payments totaling tens of thousands of pounds had been made to them. And Wellesby, he openly admitted he'd been supplying drugs for the previous six months and was doing so of his own free will. The prosecutor outlined it was the Crown's case that Wellesby was primarily dealing in amphetamines, often in large quantities to other dealers for onward supply, in addition to dealing in significant amounts of cocaine and cannabis. Wellesby's QC and mitigation told how Wellesby was not in good health and was waiting for a pacemaker to be fitted and as someone on life licence would now remain recalled to prison until such time as a successful parole application was made. The judge didn't show much sympathy for Wellesby in his comments, saying how it was clear he must have known exactly what he was doing when he got back into dealing after being released for the murder of Danny. He told him how he wasn't going to bother lecturing him about the effects of drugs in the community, and he gave him a 25% discount for his guilty pleas that was six years in jail. What do you make of that sentence? About right? Should it have been shorter, longer? What do you think? And what do you think about what we have heard today in full? What do you make of Wellesby returning to dealing again on his release? He should have known better, I guess, but maybe it's all he knows. No excuses, I know, and he will be spending some of his most valuable remaining years back in the slammer. Although the press loved the details of Danny's body being dug up repeatedly after his murder, in reality, except for those whose family members and friends were affected, I think today's story, so if this sounds harsh, is remarkably unremarkable, but very familiar of course. The progression of Danny from small-time dealing to friends and contacts, and that business growing and then spiralling out of control, to the extent he started becoming involved with very hardened criminals, he thought nothing of extreme violence. We've heard that so many times 
on this podcast, haven't we? We then have the criminal who is unable to keep his mouth shut about where the body was. How many times have we heard that? And then finally, another familiar theme, the inevitable squabbling about who actually killed Danny. It's all pretty depressing, isn't it, really? (laughs) Goodness me, I'm not really saying the podcast too well here, am I? Depressing in a very exciting, well-told sort of way, right? I know that some of you will have no sympathy for Danny, due to the fact he was a drug dealer, and with the misery this causes, and also he should have known the risks. I get that, I really do. But you know how it is in life when you're down on your luck and one thing leads to another. I'm not defending for a moment what he did, but I do feel for him. Brutally murdered at just 30. Imagine the reality of being attacked by those men in the kitchen. Oh, it must have just been horrendous. And his life was one that had promised so much. He had the potential at one stage to be a professional sportsman, although that was snuffed out in a residential kitchen on the outskirts of Swansea. As always, on this podcast, my last thoughts are for his friends and his family. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect at all of the UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. Just search UK True Crime and you will find over 83,000 of us ready to chat. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash the UK True Crime. Not only will you find over 50 bonus episodes, but there's a ton of other exclusive content and competitions. You can join Patreon for as little as £1 a month and cancel at any time, not that you will ever want to, of course. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and get yourself in the draw for the case file game too. And please, for the final time, please do join me if you can for my live show in Manchester on the 4th of October. So that's all for me for another week. I'll speak to you again on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 37th most popular true crime host. Until we speak next Tuesday, big shout out to all my close friends in Rochdale. And for everyone, please do take it easy, despite, despite all the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now.